Good evening, everyone. So the youth group section is looking a little not there tonight, but we have a few that are at camp this week. Uh, we have a few on vacation, so that's that's where a lot of them are. We have some scattered throughout the crowd as well. Um, but I want to tell you about the maybe the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life. <clears throat> um, so part of the group that's gone is the Fonz. You know, Adam and Lee and their family are on vacation, which is awesome. They're in the D.C. area. And this afternoon, I believe it still happened, um, they saw in concert uh, John Williams conducting the Marine Band, something like that. You may not know who John Williams is, but he is my absolute favorite musical person of all time. Uh, you may recognize the movie Star Wars, Jurassic Park, Indiana Jones, E.T., all that music, John Williams. Harry Potter, John Williams, right? He is incredible um now they got to see him in concert right so where's this hard part that i something that i did come in well to get tickets to that you had to you know be in the queue and everything and so one day at work like a month ago adam came in and said all right sherry noah i need you to help me out i need everyone on board to get these tickets so they don't run out and so i got on there i got on the, the queue on my computer and i got it and you know i got i got two tickets on my laptop for john williams and Adam said, no, don't worry, I already, I already got my families. We don't need him anymore. And I was like, I have two tickets for John Williams on my laptop. He's like, well, I don't need them. And I was like, well, I'm filling in for you that Sunday, aren't I? He's like, yeah. Delete. That hurt. But I'm glad that they're there. I'm glad that they're enjoying it. Hopefully it was awesome. I told them to get an autograph for me. I probably didn't happen. But uh, it's very cool that they get to do that. And so, so you get me this week. But my spiritual anniversary is the title of this lesson. July 21st, 2013, I was baptized at the Hillcrest Church of Christ in Abilene, Texas. It was a Sunday morning. Um, and this is the uh, picture right here of me and my dad. So uh, I was, I guess, just 13 years old, not, not too far into that. Um, I was baptized there after, after the lesson that morning. What was cool was later that evening, and this was not related at all, uh, but that Sunday night, my best friend at the time, his name was Caleb Rechtenwald, uh, was also baptized. We had both been studying with our parents about our need to do that, and we both made the decision, separate of each other, uh, on the same day, which was really, really cool. So that's me and him uh, right after he got baptized later that evening. Um, and so this Friday, I will celebrate 10 years as a Christian, uh, which is, I think anybody should be proud of, of your spiritual anniversary, of whenever that is. But baptism, as y'all know, is just the beginning of your life in Christ and with the Spirit. There's, there's a lot more to it, and there's, there's a lot you have to learn after you're baptized. Right? You haven't reached the peak of your spiritual journey. And so there, there's a lot that I've learned in the past 10 years. And so I want this sermon to just kind of be one of simple reflection, of maybe some things I've learned um, that maybe can help you, and also just to remind us of the need to always be reflecting on our spiritual journey where we've been, uh, where we've come from, you know, where we're at, where we're going. So I want to share a few things that I've learned along the way in my spiritual journey. And so the first thing that I've learned as a Christian is nothing. Not really. But really what I mean to say is I don't have it all figured out. I want to start with this one because I don't want people to think that I'm you know, delusional enough to say I've peaked, that I've got it all figured out. I'm certainly lacking a ton in my spiritual maturity and knowledge and all that kind of stuff. So I, I want to open up with being humble and honest to admit that I don't know everything. 
Um, I really don't know a lot of things, and compared to a lot of people, I don't know anything. But it took me a while to realize that. It took me a while to get to the point uh, to realize that I don't know a lot. And that's, that's pride, really. That's something that I struggle with, is pride. Um, and I, I learned this lesson through many different situations in my life. One of those I shared last time I was up here preaching about when I was in college, and Dr. Rogers told me I needed to read my Bible more carefully. You know, that, that humbles you, right? Another happened one time I was talking to my dad about some spiritual topic, and I asked him if some certain thing was a sin or not, um, you know, trying to be a good Bible student and everything. And he told me, Noah, you're asking the wrong question. I'm like, Dad, that's a pretty good question, asking if something's a sin or not. You know, I, I kind of want to know. And he said, no, you're, you're coming at this from the wrong angle. You're asking the wrong question. He went on to teach me, and I mean, I wholeheartedly agree with it. Christianity is not about what is a sin or not. Yes, we need to know what sin is. We need to draw those lines. But Christianity is about developing a relationship with your Father in heaven and honoring him. It's like, what? It's like, think about a marriage, right? Is the point of a marriage to see how close you can get to a divorce without getting the divorce? You know, how much can I mess up before you, you leave me? No. Christianity isn't that way. How, how close to sin can I get right before, before God leaves me? That's not the point of it. The point is to honor God and just to not even mess with sin or get close to it at all. Uh, and so I was, I was humbled. I was like, well, you're right. That maybe that wasn't the greatest question in the world. I should be asking, what can I do for my father, not just how can I avoid sin? So I realized I had a lot more to learn. Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24 says, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Now, Jeremiah 29, or Jeremiah 9, is a pretty depressing chapter where God, through Jeremiah, is describing the punishment that he has planned for his people. And a huge part of why God's people need punishment is their pride. They thought they knew everything. They thought that everything was on their own doing, that they created all the success and good in their life. And so God tells them a couple things. First, he says, stop it, cut it out, quit being arrogant of people. But he says, quit boasting about your, your wisdom, your might, and your riches. And then the second thing God says is, if you are going to boast, if you're going to boast, boast in your understanding of me and in the fact that you know me. Now, why would God say that? I think it's certainly important to tell others about your knowledge of God and about your relationship with him. But I believe there's a little bit more to it. In order to boast about my knowledge in God, about my relationship with God, I had better really know everything about him and really know him. And whenever a person works toward really understanding and knowing God, it leads to the same place. Humility. There is so much about God that we cannot know or cannot understand. He's so much greater and better and more powerful than us. that There are vast parts about God that are beyond our comprehension. Just take the three examples in verse 24 of Jeremiah 9. If I think I know everything, then I haven't really studied God's steadfast love. Because no one is going to ever understand fully the extent of God's love. If I think I know everything, that I haven't really studied God's justice. Because no one will ever fully understand 
the justice of God. If I think I know everything, then I probably haven't really studied God's righteousness. Because the goodness and purity of God are beyond what we can comprehend. So I think part of the reason God says to boast in our knowledge of him is because we can't. But we should still try to understand God as much as possible. Because when we embark on that journey, we will learn humility in ways that we never have before. Now, I still struggle with pride. That's something that I pray about a lot and need to work on. But I'm beginning to understand how much I don't understand. And I think that is a better place than I've been in the past. Another thing I've learned since becoming a Christian 10 years ago is that VBS songs are powerful. I told you this would come into play. Um, all right, y'all know this song. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Yeah. Where? That's a good question. That's a wonderful question. Where is our joy? The more that I've you know, interacted with Christians around the world, um, in different congregations, I've found that joy is sometimes in short supply. Where is our joy? If, you, if some of you read my Bolton article last month, um, some of this will be familiar to you, but it's something that is something I've just stuck with me over the years. And these are statements that I've heard people say. The world is worse than ever before. Our country is in the most sinful state it's ever been. There's so much more sin today than when I was a kid. People are just more evil and twisted than they used to be. Our kids face so much more sin than previous generations. And statements like that sadden me for a few different reasons. One, they're just depressing. Um, I don't have to explain, I think, why that is. But two, they're not theologically consistent with God's word. And three, they actually, I think, dim the glory of God and the joy found in Christ. 1 John chapter 2, verse 17 says, And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. The world, its sin, its glorification of sin are actually passing away, according to the scriptures. This morning, or this morning, this evening, the world and, and its sin and its evil are closer to their end than ever before, if you think about it. And now they're closer to their end than I, when I just said it a couple seconds ago. We have never been closer to the end of sin than at this present moment. The world is not more sinful than ever before. In reality, it's never been closer to eternity and the end of sin. And more than that, Christians have never been closer to forever after with God than right now at this present moment. I think those are two beautiful and joyful things to think about. In fact, I'm teaching first and second and third John um, in the high school class. One of the reasons John wrote first John is first John 1 4 it to glorify our great God. We know that sin is wrong, but let's not forget that God is good. We know that evil exists, but let's not forget that joy exists too. Even Christ had joy in the midst of his darkest day. Hebrews 12:2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Our hyper-focus on sin can sometimes dim the glory of God and the joy of Christ in our lives by preventing us from doing what we're really supposed to be spending our time doing. That's glorifying our mighty God who defeated Satan, who defeated sin, who's washed us clean from sin, while who lets us live joyfully because of the promise that sin is closer to its end than ever before, and we are closer to our home in heaven than ever before. Something else I've learned 
in the past 10 years is Christ is not a cushion. Christianity is not easy. And certainly there are times of ease, but overall, Christianity is not easy. I want to just read these three verses for you and just kind of listen to the main message that they're communicating. Matthew 16, verse 24 and 25. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Matthew chapter 10, verse 35 and 36. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. And then Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Christ is a comforter, but he is not comfortable. He calls us to deny ourselves. He calls us to sometimes deny our families, to pick up our cross, to live sacrificially. And I learned this in a, a few small ways. One of those was growing up in a youth group. I grew up, I guess my freshman year, we moved to Austin, Texas, um, and I, I joined the youth group there. And backstory, I, I used to hate, I, mean, I still get nervous doing it, but I used to really hate leading singing. Um, it made me, I was terrified to do it. I didn't want any part of it. I didn't think I was any good at it. But one of the first, maybe the first, youth people I went to with this new youth group, I hardly knew anybody. The youth minister, we're, in the, we're singing, and there's a, you know, a pause between songs. The youth minister looks at me, and he asks me, which song do you want to lead, Noah? He didn't, uh, that, that's an important question. He didn't ask me, do you want to lead a song, Noah? He said, which song do you want to lead, Noah? I was like, what? Me? So I had two choices, right? I could, I could say no. Uh, it would be embarrassing. Um, and, but I would get to stay in my comfort zone. Or, you know, I could just, I could say yes. I could power through it. I could, hopefully nobody would notice and I'd, I'd make it out alive, right? I don't know why, but I said yes, um, and, and that he, along with that moment, pushed me into starting to lead singing um, and to get out of my comfort zone. And that's, that's something small, but that's the idea that, that Christ is not a Christian. He doesn't want us to stay in our comfort zones. He calls us to leave those comfort zones, and that's different things for different people. But it, it's very rare that being a Christian allows you just to sit in your comfort zone. And I find it interesting that the more prosperous and comfortable that a society gets, the harder it is for Christianity to grow there. Because when we get comfortable, when we get in our comfort zones, Christianity ceases to be appealing because it's not comfortable. Or what sometimes happens if, if you know, Christianity is not, we don't you know, just discard it. What sometimes happens is we create such a watered-down form of Christianity or we profess faith and we do a few good things, but we never have to leave our comfort zone for Christ. And that's a dangerous place to be because comfort zones are church killers. It's, you know, it may be out of my comfort zone to, to teach a lesson or do a devo, and then all of a sudden a congregation goes astray because the truth is not taught. Or it's out of my comfort zone to raise a family in the Lord, to be the spiritual leader for my family, and all of a sudden sons and daughters don't grow up to be people that live sacrificially for Christ. Or maybe it's out of my comfort zone 
to go and seek the lost, like Jesus says. And so congregations die, and souls never hear about Jesus because Christians were more worried about being in their comfort zone than being Christ-like. Christ is not a cushion. He's a cross-bearer, and he calls all of us to do the same thing if we want to wear his name. Another thing I learned, this was maybe more of a harder one, staying faithful is a choice. Not everyone makes that choice. Now, this is something I knew before getting baptized. This is If you were raised in the church, this is probably something that you were taught. You know, Not everyone stays faithful. But it didn't get real for me until around my senior year of high school and going into college. And the reason it got real for me is because not everyone in my youth group made the decision to stay faithful. Not everyone I went to college with, even some of the people I went to church with in college, have made the decision to stay faithful. I knew faith was a choice, but I just always assumed that the people who are faithful today would still choose to be faithful tomorrow, but not all of them do. And that's one of those life lessons that hurts. The Bible's pretty blunt about it. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3-4 through 4, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. It's sad that some people will never choose to listen to the truth. And sadder yet, people will listen to the truth, obey the truth, and then one day, for whatever reason, choose to walk away from it. And that hurts to think about. It's discouraging. And that's why the next verse in 2 Timothy is so important. 2 Timothy 4, verse 5. As for you, as for those of you who are still faithful, as of those for you who are still picking up your cross, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. I also had to learn that no matter how many of my friends chose to abandon the faith, I could not let that impact my choice. Regardless of how many people stop choosing faith, we have to choose to remain sober-minded. We have to choose to remain or to keep enduring the suffering and the, and the sacrifice that comes with being a Christian. We have to choose to still work hard in the kingdom of God, to be evangelists, to be ministers, to be servants of the king. This is another one I learned. I bet none of y'all knew this one. Um, th this, one's, this one's pretty cool. Did y'all know that Paducah exists? I did not know that as of about two, two and a half years ago. That was something I learned in the last ten years. Um, I, I had never heard of Paducah, Kentucky, until a little less than two years ago um, when Adam first called me um, about you know the job here and the opportunity here. Paducah, um, where? I mean, Kentucky, I know where that is, but, but I, I learned that Paducah exists. But really, what I mean by this point is that God's will isn't what I thought it was. I used to believe that God had a, a very specific plan for me, and I needed to figure that out ASAP if I was going to you know, reach my full potential and, and do what God really wanted me to do. And so in my mind, this applied to everything, my future job, my future home, my future spouse. And if I didn't follow God's will exactly, then I was going to waste my life. Now, the problem was God hadn't told me yet what his specific fine-tuned you know, plan was for my life. And he still hasn't. And he never will, because that's not how God's will works. And I had to learn that. And this, is, this could be a whole other sermon, but basically the way it was explained to me and taught to me by some of my mentors is that God's will can be broken up into three parts. There's God's will of decree. 
or God's going to do what God is going to do, and there's nothing you can do about it. A really great example is Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God was going to create the earth, and that was his will. Nobody could change that. Jesus' death. Jesus was going to die on the cross, and nobody could change that. Jesus is coming again, and nobody can change that. That's God's will of decree. But then there's also God's will of desire. And that's what God wants from his people. That's what God wants from the church. But it's up to us whether we do it or not. He's not going to make us. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God desires of all people that they come back to him and that they do what is pleasing in his sight. But he doesn't force it. That's God's will of desire. And then the last one is God's will of direction, which refers to God's specific plan for your life. And this is where I, was, I got hung up on the wrong idea of what that looked like. I thought God had one woman in mind for me, and if I missed that, I was going to marry the wrong person. I thought God had one place in mind for me to move, and if I missed that, I was going to dishonor God. I thought he had one job in mind for me. If I didn't choose correctly, then my whole life was going to be a disaster. But it's way simpler than that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. And he goes on and elaborates on that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 through 18 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. God's will of direction for your life, for your specific life, is simply this. Pursue Christ-likeness. Be like Jesus. That's it. He really doesn't care who you marry, where you live, where you work, as long as those choices that you're making with your life ultimately bring you closer to him and to his son and allow you to better serve him in his kingdom. I had a professor at, at Freed. His name was Matt Cook. Some of you may have heard of him. He said it this way, to be in the center of God's will is not a decision between blank and blank. Rather, to be in the center of God's will is the daily decision to seek God's kingdom first. So did I have to move to Paducah to be in line with God's will? No, but I'm really glad that I did because that decision has brought me closer to Jesus in a lot of ways. And y'all are a huge part of that. So the decision is not, you know, am I going to choose the right job? The decision is, where can I serve God the best? And that's where God can use me, and that's where God needs me. And finally, kind of in summary of, of the past 10 years, I will never regret being a Christian. Growing up, I always struggled with my favorite Bible verse. They're all so good, after all. I'd be happy to pick one. But after a few years after I got baptized, I stumbled upon, stumbled upon, I was reading my Bible. I mean, imagine that. You should, you should do that. Um, I was reading my Bible, and I, I just never read it closely. The book of First Peter. And I was reading the first chapter. And the verse or the passage that stuck out to me was First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. If you've got your Bibles, uh, you can be turning there. And it quickly became one of my favorite Bible passages because it reminds me of this fact, that I'm never going to regret 
being a Christian if I stick with it. I'm never going to regret the, the decision I made 10 years ago. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-9 through 9 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I may not know everything, I, none of us ever will, but I know Jesus, and he's teaching me every day, and hopefully he's teaching you every day. Joy may be in short supply, but as a Christian, you and I have access to an inexpressible joy. Christianity may not be easy, it may pull us out of our comfort zones, not may, it will pull us out of our comfort zones. But the fires that you and I go through are refining and strengthening our faith. Others may not choose to stay faithful. In fact, others, a lot of others, won't choose to stay faithful. But you and I need, must, absolutely must choose to stay faithful because the outcome of our faith is the salvation of our souls. You and I may not always know the next choice that we should make in life, but our choices need to always be guided by our desire to know Jesus, to love Jesus, and to remain faithful to Jesus. And hopefully you and I will never regret, well, I, I know this, if we stay faithful, you and I will never regret the decision to become a Christian because we have an imperishable, undefiled, and unfading inheritance in heaven. That's, you know, just a few of the many lessons I've learned. Um, there's a lot more embarrassing lessons, too, if you want to ask me about those later. Um, I didn't want to share all of those tonight. But those are some of the big ones that I maybe knew partly. Uh, some of them didn't know at all before getting baptized. But as I thought back to the, the last 10 years of my life since making that decision, these are some of the ones that stuck out to me. Hopefully some of those have been helpful for you. But maybe my challenge tonight is more than any point made. Think about however old you are as a Christian. Think about that day that you chose to be baptized. Where, where are you now compared to there? Has it been growth? Has it been decline? Has it just been kind of riding the waves and not going anywhere? And if it has been growth, what have those lessons been? Maybe share them with someone. Because as Christians, we are always supposed to be growing. We are always supposed to be maturing uh, and being more like Jesus, being more Christ-like every day. I hope that you are a Christian and you have a spiritual birthday, a spiritual anniversary that you can, you can celebrate. If not, let's make today your spiritual birthday. Let's make today the day you decide to be Christ's, that you put him on in baptism. Hopefully we can do that tonight. If you do have a need, if you need a prayer, if you need encouragement, if you need anything at all, please come as we stand and we sing.